Welcome back to the Posting Up Podcast here with your host, Alec Jesse. Uh, I apologize, I did not do a podcast last week, obviously didn't tweet it out, not on the feed, the Apple uh, Podcast feed, so I apologize for that. Uh, didn't feel great on Tuesday, Wednesday, and just never really got around to it the rest of the week. I was I anchored Extra Point, uh, the Extra Point here at WKU, and I made some, I made my final four predictions on that didn't really talk a ton about obviously the sweet 16 and uh the uh elite eight games and you know because i obviously didn't do a podcast uh so i apologize for that obviously really good weekend of basketball um between really good weekend or great last two weekends i should say uh between uh, you know the Sweet 16 games, Elite Eight, and uh, Final Four, and the National Championship game. Uh, like all of them could have gone either way. Like pretty much all of them, and it's it's kind of crazy how it uh, how how that turned out. Uh, you had I mean the, the Purdue and Tennessee game was just terrific, and I don't I mean you had Ryan Klein going off for uh, 27 points. But then Tennessee storms back from 18 down. Um, also, did talk actually did talk about the Sweet 16 matchups from uh, Thursday, the Thursday uh, rounds um, on the extra point the week four. So you can check that out as well. And then you know you had Kentucky the next day against Houston. Uh, the Tyler Hero shot hurt around the world. Hurt around the world. Uh, that was a terrific game. Um, Texas Tech dominating Michigan. Uh, I, so, <laughs> I, I've told you all that I'm not very good at picking the bracket. I'm, I'm actually horrible, in fact, at picking the bracket. However, I did really good the first weekend, right? And then terrible the second the second weekend and and on. But what's funny is is that I actually like I, like so I three of the four of my final four teams from when I picked the bracket originally. We're in the Elite Eight between Gonzaga, Duke, and Kentucky, and they lost. All of my Final Four made it in the second weekend. And then on their extra point, I picked Virginia to beat Auburn. They did. But I picked Michigan State to win it all, to beat Tech and then beat Virginia. That didn't happen. Then I then So it's Texas Tech and Virginia, and I picked, uh, you know, I, I was really going back and forth, but I ended up kind of settling on a prediction with Texas Tech. And of course, Virginia wins. Um, how about? I guess we can just kind of talk about this as a whole uh, before we get into uh, kind of previewing next season because that's what it is. But how about Virginia's run and how just kind of? I'll just go ahead and say it. Lucky it was. Uh, they everything had to go right for them in three straight games, and it did. Right, you had the Ty Jerome miss free throw against Purdue, uh, and uh, Diakite get or the ball goes all the way in the backcourt. Kia Clark advances it up. They get it to Diakite, hits a last second shot, boom, gets it to overtime, and Virginia wins it in overtime, surviving. And also, they survived the rule of seventy-one twice uh, in in that stretch, which is pretty pretty insane as well. Um, I know ton of, no, not everyone follows that. I I do, and they did survive it twice, and they survived forty. What was it forty two from Carson Edwards? Uh, you know, just ridiculous stuff. And then of course the ending of that Auburn game, you, the, the double dribble miss. But then Auburn didn't need even still did not need to foul there. They fouled with a minute, uh, you know, what a minute and a half, or not a minute? Excuse me, a second and a half left, and then. And then obviously you get the foul call, which I think there was the right call on Samir uh, Dowdy on uh, Kyle Guy. I think that that was the right call. The missed call was obviously the double dribble. Um, Ty Jerome dribbled off his foot, then recollected it should have been a double dribble. And Auburn would have uh, uh, surely won the game. But then you have before that, even, even before all that sequence, Jared Harper misses his first free throw in like forever. Uh, went nine for nine, I believe, against Kentucky, uh, putting them away. 
late. And, um, yeah. So, sorry about that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, put, puts Kentucky away with nine straight free throws. But then in the uh, game against Virginia, he misses the back end of, you know, he had two free throws, misses the back end. Auburn's only up two. Would have tied, uh, Kyle Guy's three free throws would have then tied the game and not put Virginia in the lead with less than a second left. With What was it, like three-tenths of a second left, I believe is what it was. So you have that that game. And then last night, um, obviously in the championship game, spoiler alert, Virginia won. Um, in overtime, you have the controversial call of the, the overturn it. You know, at first it's – it's off of Dondre Hunter that with that sequence where Wrighty's coming down. It looks like, you know, he kind of slows up. Look, he got fouled even before that by Kyle Guy, uh, who was going after the ball. I so it just goes to show you, with this, and, and it's not. I mean, Virginia resilient, and they made plays when they needed to. They took it like I like I said, I've said, they you know, part of getting the calls you got to take advantage of them. You got to take advantage of them, and they did. So props to them for that, but man, they need when they needed the whistle to go their way for three straight games, and you can even, you know, there wasn't like a crazy call in the Oregon game, but they, I mean, that game was what a one point game, you know, with five minutes left. Very well could have lost that game as well. They and they locked down Oregon from that point. Um, but when they needed the whistle, they there's no question they got it, um, and but you know that. They also made you know clutch plays in general. DeAndre Hunter, that clutch three in the corner. Uh, I think he was four for five from three. That was massive. I think really the difference in the game last night was Jared Culver, what was he, five from 22 from the field, had 15 points, and then you had DeAndre Hunter with 27 points, nine rebounds. Uh, just was, you know, between the two lottery picks for the teams, Hunter for Virginia, Culver for Tech, Hunter showed up. Culver didn't play terrible. He had the very clutch move to give Texas Tech the lead late, remember, uh, they, when they got the lead back. But clutch uh, shot making from Hunter, and he, he just showed up in a better way. And I think that, that was a big part of it. But for Texas Tech, man, what a run. Now, I had them losing to Buffalo in the second round. And then I had them losing to Michigan after that. And then I thought they were going to lose to Gonzaga after that. And then I thought they were going to lose Michigan State. And in the one game I think they're going to win, they lose. Um, I legitimately thought each of the last four games I, I picked against them. Or until last night with Final Four game, Elite Eight, Sweet 16, Round of 32. And they didn't just, like, beat the teams. They destroyed them. I mean, Buffalo destroyed them. That's a good team. I mean, you're talking about a team that was in the top 25 pretty much the entire season. Um, but then, and, and they totally crushed them. Hold them to under, I think it was, what they hold them, 53 points, something like that? Michigan, again, a team that was in the top 10 for pretty much the entire season, was the best team in the country in November, early December. Destroyed them. I mean, what did they get? What did Michigan get? 44 points? Locked them down. Gonzaga, they didn't destroy them, but they never got down more than five. And against a team with that offense, that's very impressive. And they, you know, they defended incredibly. Held, what was it? The second, second or third time all year, Gonzaga didn't get to 70 points. That's incredible. You know, that offense, which was, they had the best offense in college basketball last year. Or, well, now it's last year. This year, I guess, still, because it's quite fresh. Um, so, to hold them to 69 points, that's impressive. That is rather impressive. Um, you know, in, and then after that, Michigan State pretty much led wire to wire. Or not wire to wire, but they led almost the entire second half. I think they did lead the entire second half. Um, Michigan cut it. Michigan State cut it to one, um, with like I think a little over two minutes left, and then Tech didn't let them score the rest of the game. So for Texas Tech, for Chris Beard, I, you know I don't know how much longer he's gonna be there, um, because 
you're talking about a school that at this time two years ago hadn't been to an Elite Eight. Hadn't been to an Elite Eight. And then Elite Eight last year, and they lose to the back-to-back years, they've lost to the eventual national champion. I mean, there is no shame in that at all. And now you get to the first championship. Just a bizarre Final Four in general, where you got two of the teams in Auburn and uh, Texas Tech who had never been to a Final Four. Three of the four teams had a head coach that had never been to the Final Four. You know, and no, for the first time since 2013, no Duke, no Kentucky, no Kansas, no Carolina. Like that, that just doesn't happen. And then before that, I can't even remember before 2013 the last time that wasn't the case, or where, where each one of those four teams wasn't in it. I mean, th- that's like an every year occurrence. Uh, and, and you know, I know Auburn lost, maybe shouldn't have, but they did against Virginia. But how about the road they took to to get to the Final Four? They knocked out three of those four in Kansas. Now, Kansas was down this year, but still, they, they killed them. I mean, they killed them. And you're talking about Kansas. I mean, Kansas alone, you know, just with the way, you know, like, even you figure with Bill Self, and then they have the talent, whether it would be lost whenever Grimes, Dotson, would will their way to the second weekend. Nope, Auburn shut that down. Then they hit 17 threes against North Carolina. And then against Kentucky without Chuma o- Okiki. And that game was tailor-made for Kentucky to win. I mean, Auburn hit seven threes. You know? Seven threes that entire... The, when Kentucky beat them back, what was it? Well, this was the last time Auburn lost before they lost to Virginia, February 23rd against Kentucky. They hit eight. They lost that game at 27. You know, the, the, the game was tailor-made for Kentucky to win. Played in the 70s. And... Or not in the, in the 60s, excuse me. Played in the 60s. And Auburn kind of like out Kentucky Kentucky. You know, played great defense. Had a little flurry at the end of the first half, beginning of the second. And, you know, they, they essentially when they when that game went into overtime, like them t- them tying it in regulation was, was a win for Auburn. So, um, you know, it was a cra- I mean, crazy tournament where it looked like it was very chalk, and then it wasn't so chalk in that second weekend. And then the third weekend, you know, great games all around. Um, the championship was a dud at first for Virginia and Texas. Like, the first 30 minutes where it was a dud. But then the last 15, because with overtime, was terrific. It was terrific. It ended up being a terrific championship game. So, uh, and as for Virginia... Um, even with them getting the whistle, I don't want to take away anything from them. Um, heck of a heck of a run, and you cannot make that up. Going from the outhouse to the penthouse in a year, I did not think Tony Bennett would ever win a title there, so I give them credit. Now they didn't have to face any any of those blue, you know, and they got favorable whistle. I, I think, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to overreact to it. I don't, don't want to underreact to it. They made plays and they were resilient, and they have terrific players. And they, I mean, do, I mean, they have a lottery pick in DeAndre Hunter. It's not like that. Well, they have it, no talent. Like no, they got talent. All right, and Ty Jerome is is I think a first rounder. Should be probably drafted in the first round. A guy that can play on or off the ball. A little bit of point guard experience, especially with last year. Um, can shoot the lights out, crafty score, decent athlete. Yeah, I, I think he's he should be a first round, you know, in a winner, a proven winner, most importantly. So, you know, they they had in in Kyle Guy, I think as well, will get a shot at the league. I don't know if he'll go pro this year, but I think he'll get a shot in the league for sure. I mean, Joe Harris from way back in 2014 is is playing is starts for the Nets, who are going to the playoffs. You know, Kyle Guy, I don't know how similar Kyle Guy and Joe Harris. Joe Harris is a pretty big dude, pretty strong guy. But, I mean, they kind of play a similar role. They, they played a similar role at Virginia. You know, super, you know, they they shoot a lot of threes. They run off screens, all that kind of a deal. So, you know, they, they have talent, that's for sure. Um, but they got very lucky. It's not like all of a sudden, I, I don't think Tony Bennett has proven, oh, 
well, he can just go win tournaments every year now with this style. Eh. I mean, there's a reason they lost to Duke twice in the regular season, but they didn't have to face him again. You know, and that's how it shook out. I would have loved to have seen a Kentucky-Virginia matchup. I mean, Auburn had him beat as it was, but I really would have liked to see Kentucky-Virginia uh, because I think both teams kind of play that style. And, and Kentucky was playing as good a defense as both Tech and Virginia were in the tournament. But they didn't score enough against Auburn, and that's how it, that's how it works. And Auburn was playing terrific defense in the tournament as well. I mean, they played great defense this tournament. So don't want to, again. Um, but, you know, that's kind of not – I did not see that one coming, but I'm terrible at pr- predicting this stuff. I figured it was going to be either Duke, Kentucky, Gonzaga. That's who, I figured it was going to be one of those three teams that were going to win it. Um, I did not see – you know – I kind of, as we got closer to that Michigan State Duke game, I was kind of thinking, okay, I think State win, but I mean they only won by a point, it was, and it was a goings three. That three doesn't go in, Duke wins. So you're talking about a, a razor thin margin. Talking about Gonzaga, right? That game was very. I mean, Texas Tech kind of pulled away at the end. Kind of, they got stops when they needed to. But that game was there for the taking. The first what. 38 minutes, and then then Tech kind of pulled away the final minute or two minutes, minute and a half, whatever. Moretti hit a three, I think, put him up 66-60, and Gonzaga can never really get close again, close enough at least. Kentucky, I mean, game went overtime. They had the ball with the final possession. They had two shots. They had two shots. Both got blocked, and that's how it works. They lose in overtime to a team that was just on fire, and I think a team that honestly just Played, they, they wanted it more. Uh, they played like it, at least. <clears throat> and then Virginia-Purdue, right? And, 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 and Tennessee-Purdue. I mean, Tennessee was that close to beating Purdue, and then Purdue was that close to beating Virginia. I mean, that's how this thing works. It's just so random. Um, and I, th- I think that's where you have to appreciate the Villanova team line. I mean, Villanova, in their two runs, has played in, like, two close games in the tournament. Like two, the Kansas game in in twenty sixteen, and then the Carolina game, obviously, and and they were winning almost that entire game, and then it got close at the end. They obviously paid tight with that crazy three, and they went, and then obviously Chris Jenkins came down, and hit the game winner. But like they didn't play a close game last year in the tournament. Like they didn't. Tech kind of kept it close, but like not. They still I think Noah still ended up winning by eight, so it wasn't like it was a nail biter. Like, West Virginia kind of hung around there, but, Because, nah. I mean, they just destroyed Alabama. And then the second weekend games, they kind of, you know, they weren't like blowouts, but they weren't like super close either. And then Kansas, they beat them by 20. And then Michigan, they beat them by, what, 15? I mean, so you really appreciate that as compared to this year where Virginia got kind of every whistle to go its way. And, you know, that's how it shook out. But, you know, props to Virginia. Um, I don't know if they were the – I still think – you could make an argument they were the best. I think, I don't know. I think Gonzaga was probably the best overall team this season. Duke had the Duke had the most talent. They had the best player. That's why I picked them. And I, I've already seen them play Gonzaga, and they were right there with them, right? One the, you know possession, one possession game. And I just didn't see K losing a rematch. But. They threw up a clunker against Texas Tech, and I think Virginia is better than Texas Tech as a team. So I think that, you know, I think Virginia is better than every team they beat in the tournament. But that doesn't mean anything when you get playing there, because Kentucky's better than Auburn. Kentucky's better than Houston. They probably should have won that game by double digits, and they were winning a lot of that game by double digits, and you saw how close that was. So, you know, um, not to say that, I think they, you know, they're deserving, but. They, they got help, but, you know, congrats to Tony Bennett. Terrific season, terrific tournament, terrific last two weekends of the tournament. Um, you absolutely uh, love to see that, and, you know. But for my purposes, I'm, move, I'm we're moving on. We, we have a season preview because, uh, you know, roster decisions are coming in fast and furious. Uh, there's a lot of things to talk about as far as – we have 40 minutes to do so. As far as go, like the teams, 
the roster construction of the coaches. Um, the coaching carousel has been crazy. I guess we can start with that, and then we can go into the rosters. So, um, we a lot of it has been centered around the SEC, a lot of the coaching hires, right? Buzz Williams, probably the best coaching hire of any of them, uh, of anyone in the country. Going from Tech back home, not home, but home state of Texas, Buzz's, to Texas A&M. And I think Texas A&M is going to be a winner because of that move. It's going to take them a little bit, I think, because the roster isn't very good right now. Um, between, I mean, they had a lot of talent, what, the last couple years. And then this year, then it all kind of left. Admon Gilder is, is transferring as well. So they're, they're going to they're gonna struggle next year, but I think Buzz Williams is going to be able to collect some pretty solid talent and create a winner there. I like that hire a lot. Eric Musselman at Arkansas, great hire. I mean, you're talking about a team that they, Nevada underachieved big time. We've talked about that, but it's still a really good coach, and you still got a guy that can acquire that is good at acquiring talent, really good at transfers. I mean, really good at identifying talent as far as transfers go. I mean, that's how he built Nevada, uh, and I think Arkansas. You know, I think that's going to make Arkansas. Uh, you know that, that that's a good hire for him. I just think Mike Anderson wore out his welcome. I don't think he's a bad coach, but it just wasn't working. And, and I guess they just need a fresh change, and this is a perfect guy to do it. And I think he's going to be able to. You know, Musselman's going to be able to get good players there. And Arkansas is kind of underrated as far as basketball. Like they've produced some decent talent there in the last, you know, decade. I mean, you got Malik Monk, Dan Gafford. Um, Archie Goodwin, and there's others off. Uh, Kayvon Allen from Arkansas from Little Rock. They just got to keep them in state, right? They just haven't been able to keep some of those dudes in state. And I think Musselman's going to be able to do that for, uh, you know, definitely for some of them. So I think that that's big uh, for Arkansas. You know, the only worry is he, you know, he doesn't really stay at jobs very long. Musselman doesn't. So that's a little bit of a worry if you're Arkansas. But in the short term, for now, it's good. I mean, it's gonna. It'll take a year. The, the Arkansas doesn't have a ton of a ton of talent on the team right now. Uh, they got Isaiah Joe, and that's really about it. Gafford's going pro. Um, and they're gonna have some transfers, I would imagine. But you give them two to three years, they're gonna be back in the tournament, and they're gonna be a tough out. So, good good hire for Arkansas. Uh, trying to think of who else in the SEC. Uh, we have Vanderbilt's with uh, Jerry Stackhouse, and that's, you know, it's it's a Penny Hardaway-esque kind of a hire. You know, get a guy from the grassroots circuit, get a guy that, you know, coached in the G League, was assistant, but probably the worst hire, I would say. Um, Kenny Coach, I don't, I mean, he was, what was he, a G League coach the year one year? I don't know. We'll see. They're kind of a – Vandy's a disaster. I, I think they had to move on from Bryce Drew. I don't think that was working out for them. Clearly wasn't. Uh, they they should not have gone 0-19 this year. I know Darius Garland being out was a problem, but even if they had had him, they weren't going to be good. It's pretty clear. I don't think he, he all of a sudden makes a team that went 0-19 in conference play, you know, a tournament team, with just one player. Uh, they would have been much better, I think, but much better – from 0 and 19 is like a is like what six or seven you know seven and 11 six and 12 whatever and that's much better so I, I don't know but let's see how Stackhouse does uh you know I it, it seems like a more of a recruiting move than a than X is an O move but we'll have to see how that shakes out uh Will Wade we have you have to imagine he's gonna be gone um, eventually, but still haven't seen anything. It's killing. It's gonna. That's gonna kill LSU for next season as far as recruiting goes. They were the leaders for maybe a couple guys, namely Trenton Watford, heading into the spring before this whole thing went down. And now, if should Will Wade be fired, and I expect he will, you're gonna lose. Maybe they don't have. I don't think they have anyone 
currently for a 2019 class. But you're going to have other guys leave. I could see Javante Smart going pro. Uh, Trenton Watford and Skylar Mays have already announced for the draft. Nas Reed is staying in the draft, that's for sure. Uh, you could see him at Williams maybe leave. Darius Days, you can see transfer. So they need to make a decision on this rather soon because they are really hurting on their recruiting for the recruiting efforts to the to close in 2019 class and uh, the roster for the already the guys already there on the program then the program uh, could end up leaving as well. So uh, trying to think. Well, oh, and then of course Alabama with Nate Oates, which I thought was a great hire, and he has done already a fantastic job there. So John Petty and Kyra Lewis both put their names in the transfer portal. Uh, after Avery Johnson was fired. And then Nate Oates, not only, you know, he got a commitment from a guy that was originally about to go to Buffalo, Rayshon, uh, what was his name? Rayshon Hankins, I believe was his name. Let me get that right. Don't want to. Raymond, Raymond Hawkins, excuse me, that was his name. So he got a commitment there. So he already had a commitment on the 2019 to, or, you know, kind of close that out. And then Kyra Lewis and John Petty withdrew their names from the transfer portal. That's massive. Um, because Alabama was about to lose all their players. You know, they they already got Daniel Giddens and Dazon Ingram transferring, which I don't think Daniel Giddens played a, played a minor role. Dazon Ingram was solid. He started. He played a lot. But... Mm, as far as talent, you know, not one of their best players as far as talent. They're going to lose Dante Hall. That, that's their probably their biggest loss in the middle because he was a double-double machine. Riley Norris, who was decent at the end of the year, then Avery Johnson Jr. as well, kind of played in a backup role. Um, so, but that ensure I, I think Alabama should be, you know, should have a solid shot at the tournament next year. Lewis back, John Petty back, Tevin Mack. Uh, you know, Alex Reese played pretty well towards the end of the last season. Uh, Galen Smith in the middle, uh, I think, you know, either sophomore, junior year, either way, he he played decent in a, in a backup role last year, should be ready to step up. And then you got, you know, you still got Herb Jones on the bench and some a solid recruiting class coming in, uh, headlined by Juwan Gary, a uh, small forward. So, you know, Nate Oates already doing some work on – uh, for for Alabama and I mean I, you know it's still he's a good coach but you know still gonna have to hire solid you know assistants around him to end up you know or to end up exceeding expectations but I think that's a good hire for Alabama you know to to steer a guy away that just I think signed an extension with Buffalo uh, so a good hire for Alabama as well I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. Well, and I guess now we can get into the UCLA situation. So with with Rick Barnes, so this UCLA coaching search has been a disaster. It has come to a close today. They are hiring Mick Cronin of Cincinnati, who is fine, right? Definitely not the sexiest choice. Um, I think a, a school of UCLA's caliber should be able to do slightly better. It's not the worst. It's definitely not the best, though. I mean, you're talking about a dude that took Cincinnati to eight to nine straight uh, tournament appearances. That, that's pretty impressive. Nine straight for not, you know, for not like an elite program. It's that you know not a blue blood at all. So I think that that's you know, but you know you had the talks of them going after John Calipari at first, and then that fizzled out. Because it's what Cal kind of used that to get more money out of Kentucky, which successfully worked with this new lifetime deal per se. Um, that's going to lock him in for more than likely the rest of his career. And then they go after Jamie Dixon, and looked like they were going to hire him last week, around Thursday, Friday. But then they refused. Then they didn't want to pay the buyout. So then, boom, he stayed there. And then it surfaced on Sunday night that Rick Barnes was a major candidate. And it looked like that was going to happen. But it fizzled out. And Phil Fulmer more than matched the offer at UCLA uh, gave to Barnes. And they kept him. So now they've gone to Mick Cronin. It's just like, 
about the, the it took them five tries to finally get their guy. And, and for a program that has won the most national championships of any other program, um, that has been historically heralded as a blue blood, um, I don't think you can consider them a top ten program at this moment. Maybe even a top fifteen. I mean, like Tony Bennett, like Tony Bennett didn't even pretend to act like he was even considering the offer. Cal used it to get more money, as he should have. Rick Barnes, I think, considered going there, but essentially used it to get more money out of Tennessee. Lon Kruger at Oklahoma, who is not, again, one of the sexier names on the college you know, coaching trail, had no interest in the job. It's, it's amazing how it took about five guys to finally get – and, again, Mick Cronin's a good coach, and, and it's not the definitely not the worst hire ever, but it's like – you thought they maybe could have done slightly better than Mick Cronin for for a team that is – I mean, they didn't even try Chris Beard, which is kind of shocking. I mean, you got to wonder who, who else is going to go after – I mean, there aren't a ton of vacancies left, I, I guess, at this point, but if there are any um, that are – you know, Chris Beard, I'm sure, will get phone calls. But it, it's just kind of shocking how – just the downfall of UCLA, and you know Chris Wilkes is going pro, Jalen Hands is going pro. They're gonna be they're gonna be bad next year. They were bad this year. They're gonna be they're gonna be worse ne- next year with without um, without a couple five star players, and they don't really have a recruiting class. It's not looking good for UCLA, um, but at least they have a coach now, and they can get started on it. They can they can get moving in the right direction. Trying to think of any other co- well um, to replace Buzz Williams. Uh, Virginia Tech hired former Wofford coach Mike Young. I think that's a solid hire. I mean, he's kind of an older guy, so you wonder how many years he's actually going to coach there. But I think it's just, it's a good hire. I mean, you saw how good Wofford was this year. But now Virginia Tech needs to you know get some players. They're running out of players. You had you know Chris Clark graduated, transferred. You could see that one coming a mile away after being suspended the whole year. But then. Wambisa Bede transferred. Landers Nolly, former, former top 75 recruit, transferred. Uh, maybe you can see Georgia knocking on his door because they were uh, essentially down to Virginia Tech and Georgia when he committed to Virginia Tech. Um, you have, you know, guys graduating, Justin Robinson. It's pretty much Kerry Blackshear and a bunch of dudes at this moment on the team. So Mike Young's got his uh, work cut out for him. But I think it's a pretty solid hire. For uh, for Virginia Tech, I think, I think that should work out uh, pretty solidly. Um, I know Tennessee lost its top assistant. So I think their associate head coach. I don't remember his name to Georgia Tech. So that that could be worth monitoring as far as recruiting goes for Tennessee in the future. And I'm trying to think if there's any. Oh, Chris Mullins is stepping down at St. John's. That like broke last night. Uh, so that that is big news as well. Um, who knows what they're gonna they're gonna do as far as that coaching shirt? Well, I think uh, they, they may make a run at Bobby Hurley, uh, John Shire, the Duke assistant, uh, something like that. So, so that's as far as the coaching. I'll you know obviously talk more about any other developments that pop up in the near future. So, as far as the roster construction goes for next year, or kind of so. You know, I, I do my yearly top 50, and I, and I have right now I have 50 teams down, and it's a rough draft. I don't have them actually ranked because I'm not ranking them until – I am not putting together a final ranking of these teams until after May 29th because that's when rosters not are totally set. You, you can have other recruit commitments. You could have grad transfers. You could have other stuff like that. You remember reclassifications. You had Ashton Hagens. Remember, didn't – you kind of knew he's going to reclassify, but it wasn't official until I think June fifteenth, and you had Reed Travis the week after that. So Kentucky's roster didn't really come into shape until June, later June. Um, so that that is part of it. But you can kind of tell you you get a pretty much like it's pretty locked down after that. After you know who is staying in the draft and who is coming back, and and then also the transfer frenzy is going on right now. That'll settle down around later May because then most guys will have either announce their intentions to transfer or and or picked a team by then. Now there will be more as that goes on, but 
anyway, that's kind of how it goes. But, so right now, you know, we're looking at rough draft. You know, other people have put out some way too early top 25s, and that's I've kind of done the same thing. I've done 50. Um, I, I think right now it's pretty safe to say that Duke and Kentucky will again be in the top five. Now, I see Duke a lot in between five and ten, and I don't think that's right. Now, we got the news yesterday that Trey Jones is coming back. Um, that's big. That's very big for, for the Blue Devils. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he plays. As He's going to be more of a primary scorer. He's going to be probably the best scorer they got on the perimeter next year. You know, no Barrett, no Reddish, no Zion. Those guys haven't announced that they're leaving yet, but that will I'm sure that will come eventually uh, within the next week or so. I would be shocked if we did not hear in the next week or so. Because now with the season over, you know, I understand some guys maybe taking, waiting until the season concludes to make their decision. That's what most of the dudes from Kentucky did. I, we'll get into Kentucky's thing up next. But anyway, those guys will be gone, almost certainly. Certainly. So Trey Jones is going to kind of be the guy, right? Because then coming in, they got Wendell Moore, who will play. I think he'll, he'll be a starter, but I don't see him being he, – he's not like the normal – he's not – he is not like R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, Zion Williamson. Like, he should be able to go get a bucket here and there, but he ain't going to be commanding the ball quite as much as those other guys. Um, Alex O'Connell, you know, going to shoot, gonna, you know, spot-up shooter. You know, can take it off the bounce a little bit, but again, not going to be your primary ball handler, facilitator, playmaker, score from the perimeter. I think it's Trey Jones. So I think a lot. I think part of this decision goes in the fact that he he didn't shoot well, and that was big. I mean, you saw against UCF, they were literally packing the paint, backing way off his one for eight. You know, he had that nice little rebound game against Virginia Tech, but overall, I mean. He shot 26% from three. That's about what Ashton Hagen shot, and no one expected him to be able to shoot. Yeah, I thought Trey Jones would be in the 30 to 35 range. I didn't think he was going to be like – his brother was a better shooter than him in college. Uh, you know, Trey's more strong or physically developed, I think, at this stage. But he didn't shoot the ball very well. I think that was a big part of it. And then I think now you get to be more involved in the offense – not that he wasn't involved, he was last year, and he he was a pretty important piece for him. But I mean, come on, with all those other guys, you just don't. There, there's there's only so much ball that can go around. So I think he's going to command more, uh, you know, of that responsibility this this year. I think that also means that locks him down for Matthew Hurt. Um, Matthew Hurt was probably leaning Duke. Heading into, you know, he decides, I think, next, uh, this up, not this Friday, but the next one, the 19th, 10 days from now. April 9th, today's April 9th. Um, and uh, so April 19th, Friday. Duke was maybe the slight leader, but it wasn't like for sure. I think had he gone pro, Trey Jones, that is, that would have thrown a, a wrench into uh, Hurt's decision a little bit. Because I think here's what I think was going to happen: if Trey Jones didn't go, or if Trey Jones left. I think they would Duke would be the perceived leader for R.J. Hampton to then reclassify and come in, and I think that's what they would end up doing. Well, now that Trey Jones is back, now I think R.J. Hampton, if he stays in 2020, could be an option for Duke. But if it's 2019, he will not be going to Duke. Uh, that I think is pretty crystal clear. But so that helps Kentucky, the other guys on R.J. Hampton's list as far as Kentucky. Uh, Kansas and Memphis, that helps them a lot. And for those of you who don't know, R.J. Hampton, 2020 five-star point guard, top five player in the class, uh, mulling a decision to reclassify up. He, he, he could if he wanted to. So, but Duke is no longer an option if, if he reclassifies 20, 2019. You know, So it helps those schools with them. But Duke gets a big boost with Matt, Matthew Hurt. You're talking about two guys that are from Minnesota. I don't think they played on the same – AU team, but you had to imagine that they've talked, that they're familiar with each other, and guard play was a bit is going to be a big decision with Matthew Hurt's, Matthew Hurt's uh, decision. And I think Ashton Higgins ends up coming back, but there's a good chance that he still declares for the draft. So by the time that decision is made for Matthew Hurt, Higgins probably coming back. We don't know for sure. Trey Jones is definitely coming back. I, I think it's a lock, and there's and there's a 
there's an option. There's a spot for him, pretty clear spot uh, next to Vernon Carey. So I think that locks in Matthew. And I think that puts him, I don't think they're number one because, you know, they have a lot of good players. But I think that puts locks in the top five. For Kentucky, I think the same. Um, I think Kentucky's like one. So, okay. Kentucky will, lost P.J. Washington today, declared for the draft sign with an agent. That was going to happen always. Not much analysis there. The second he returned, you knew he was going pro the next year. He got a lot better, probably get picked in the lottery. Good for P.J. Washington. He needs to go make his money. I totally understand that. And it was a good decision on his part. Um, they added Nate Sestina in. Uh, not quite, like, it's not quite a, a zero sum with that. I, you know, Sestina, you know, uh, the grad transfer from Bucknell, but it, but it's a good it's good depth, and I think that helps Kentucky uh, for sure in the future or for next year. Uh, Cal, I think, with Reed Travis has grown a little fonder of the grad transfer system. You got Nasistina, a guy that averaged what sixteen points a game, fifty percent, fifty three percent from the floor, thirty eight percent from three. So a guy that could shoot, and you know what was Kentucky's big problem this year? They couldn't shoot for most of the year. There's individual games they shot well, but for the most part, they couldn't shoot. And then, um, in you know, pretty solid on the boards. Doesn't play above the rim, but Reed Travis didn't really either. I think a guy that can stretch for it's going to help him. And so now the decisions are Tyler Hero, Keldon Johnson, Ash Tiggins. I think the I think Kentucky expects a return to Jim Montgomery and Nick Richards for their front court, which really good front court. I mean, shot blocking galore. They now both of them need to get stronger and need to be more threats on offense, but they can defend the rim. Really well. That's that'd be the that'd be one of the tougher um, the tougher front courts to score on just because of the length, pure length. Uh, Hero and Johnson. Johnson, I assume, will go pro. I, I think from the day he stepped on campus, kind of expect to be one and done. Hero is the one. Yeah, I don't know. Kentucky's about a player away from like being the clear cut one team. Even if they don't get right now, I'd say that they're kind of in that you know one to five range where they could be right there. Uh, but but I don't think they're like super separated from everyone else. They get another dude, they'd be separated. I think whether that be I, I think the three options are Tyler Hero coming back, which I think is a possibility, not a likelihood, but a possibility. Jaden McDaniel's, who I think is you know doesn't really know where he's going, I don't think, but Kentucky and Washington are perceived favorites. Or you get a reclassification from a guy like the Valley Dante. Um, again, I assume Ashton Higgins comes back, which, again, that would kind of rule out Kentucky. I, if Ashton Higgins comes back and R.J. Hampton reclassifies, he's going to Memphis. Because I think Devin Dotson comes back as well for Kansas, and I think Grimes does as well. That backcourt's pretty pretty packed. Kentucky's backcourt would be packed with Hagen's Maxey uh, in the likely returns of Quickly and Jamal Baker, and then Duke obviously with Trey Jones. I think he'd go to Memphis. But he's also said he's not going to reclassify if there isn't a good situation for him. So that's an interesting, again, recruitment follow. But I think Kentucky is pretty solid. I mean, because they're going to be able they're going to return some guys. You already have the grad transfer, Sestina. And I think Maxi and Whitney are really good. I, I think Maxi is is going to be a is going to be much better than any, is going to have you know play much better. You know from the guard spot than any guard this past season in Kentucky, and that was an ultimate downfall. They couldn't get consistent production offensively from the guards. Maxi could be upwards of a twenty game or twenty points per game score. I, I think so. I think Kentucky will be up there. Um, Michigan State's another one. I think Michigan State, if they, if Michigan State returns Cassius Winston, Josh Langford, and Nick Ward, Nick Ward, Xavier Tillman, then I think that they're they're the number one team. I, I think so. Unless Kentucky, like I said, like I think those two would be in a kind of a class of their own with Duke, kind of like pretty close, but not quite. Um, they're losing Matt McQuaid, Kenny Goins, and Kyle Aaron's. Goins and McQuaid, I mean, you got two starters. That's those are decent losses. But I mean, Cassius Winston's was the the engine of this team. He's the most important player. You know, if they if they return all those guys, you know, Xavier Tillman, Xavier Tillman and Josh Langford, I think, you know, have somewhat shots at an NBA career. Winston doesn't have much of a stock. Langford, though, with being hurt, didn't really get to improve his stock. I think he'll be back. Xavier Tillman 
could might have a second round appeal. He could test the waters. Who knows? Cassius Winston doesn't really have a draft stock. He could get drafted at the end of the second round. But he, coming back wouldn't really improve his stock. It'd just be kind of like the you know the love for the university, the the kind of being a Spartan legend kind of a deal, which he would be. He kind of already is, but he really would be come back for a sophomore year or for a senior year, excuse me, and, and compete for a national title. Um, if they get all those guys back, number one, if it's an assortment with Winston being the most important one, then they're definitely top five. If they lose all three, you know, if they lose all three, they're back in top 25. If it's an assortment, depending on who it is, they, they, they're going to range from maybe like could be in the top five, back in the top ten, who knows. Uh, I, I think Tillman might be, which kind of crazy, might be the least important to him because his – they have a ton of depth at big. They got Ward. They got Marcus Bingham, uh, rising sophomore, who should be much improved, you know. And even if they lose Winston, they're still going to be good. They got Rocket Watts coming in, who's one of the best scorers in high school basketball this year. But, you know, you're talking about a guy that's now been to a Final Four, three-year veteran, and just overall just a great, a great college point guard in Cash Winston. It's, you're going to take a little bit of a drop-off. I think they're a team to look to. Marquette, ironically, is another team that is getting a lot of love. And, and it, I don't think it's all for naught. I think that, that they're really good. Um... I, you know, if they return everyone, because I mean, they could end up returning their entire starting five. They didn't have any seniors on the roster. Um, we'll have to see. Marcus Howard kind of is the big decision. You know, the Sakarinim will be back. The Hauser brothers will be back. Theo John will be back. You know, and then along with Marcus Howard, that's their starting lineup. You have Ed Morrow, Comey McEwen, or Mc, yeah, McEwen uh, was in a. a Transfer from Utah State, so I think, you know, some good depth there and kind of sort of a contingency plan. And, you, you know, Brendan Bailey, Jamal came back. So they're, you know, return everyone from a, a solid team, but that team was a first round flame out that was a five seed. I've seen Marquette go as high as two. I would not put them that high. I would put them probably in the top 10, though. Top 15 for sure, in back in the top 10. That's where I'd, you know, maybe the eight to 10 range. You return all those guys. I mean, Marcus Howard's one of the most pro- prolific scorers in college basketball. You get him back for a senior year. It's just I don't know. You know that decision would be big. If I'm him, I wouldn't come back because I don't know what more he could do. I mean, he has had two incredible seasons for Marquette. It'd probably be in his best interest to just go ahead and go to the draft. I think he'd get drafted, uh, but we'll see what happens. You know, it, it, it definitely interesting. You got big news from Maryland getting back Jalen Hill. He's returning for a sophomore year. Anytime you get a five-star back, man, that, that helps. Maryland can end up being really, really good next year, like top ten good. Uh, you know, Bruno Fernando is expected to announce for the draft because, remember, he came, he tested the waters last year and came back and had a pretty good, I believe, sophomore year. Um, but they have a lot of depth. They got the Mitchell twins, Mackay and Mikel, to kind of replace them. They have depth at guard, Cowan, Daryl Morsel. Aaron Wiggins is probably their best pro prospect, and he'll definitely be back. So look at you can see Maryland being in the top ten as well. Um, and, you know, Michigan's another team that's that's definitely up there. They technically do not have a senior on their roster. Now, Charles Matthews went through senior day festivities, so you have to imagine he's probably gone. Um, that's that'd be very weird if you went through senior day and then came back. That's that's kind of defeats the purpose of it. But uh, so so he will probably go. But you got Xavier Simpson back for a senior, and you've seen how good he's gotten in his first, or in the last couple of years. Jordan Poole back for another year. Uh, yeah, Brad Stegas. You know, I, I think Poole and Brad Stegas will test the waters. Their decisions will determine how good Michigan's going to be, but they've still got some good players on their team. You know, Isaiah Livers and John Teske will be back. John Teske ended up being one of the better players on the team uh, by the end of the year, which was pretty crazy because he was horrible the first couple of years. I mean, Michigan fan back home that is that 
like despised Teske for the first couple years, uh, but then this year he was he was great. He he was like one of their best players, pick and roll big, uh, and, and they bring in star freshman, uh, very talented freshman Jalen Wilson, who is from Texas. So Michigan's another team. You know, I, there's been a couple of uh, I think uh, yeah a couple top twenty fives that have Michigan Michigan State like back to back. Or state and then Michigan. I I'd put Michigan probably in the top ten back in. We'll see how they. Uh, we'll see who they replace. Um, Virginia is another interesting one. Obviously the nat- the the now national champions. Um, DeAndre Hunter will go pro. I think it all comes down to Ty Jerome. Uh, if he goes pro, back in top ten, and I don't see a way they repeat. But if Ty Jerome comes back, okay, maybe you got something. You know how good Tony Bennett has been with his redshirt freshman, and you know, and J- you know Jack Salt will graduate. So Jave Huff, who has showed kind of f- some flashes, will get more of a run next year. Diakite will be back. Saw how important he was in their run as far as protecting the rim, and then you know, the, and and giving them some decent offense too. Uh, I think by everyone's kind of assuming Kyle Guy returns. I I don't. No, I don't have any inside information on this, obviously, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him test the waters. I, you know, I don't know what what Kyle guy really needs to prove. Like he kind of, he is what he is. He's really good. He's a really good two guard, um, and, and you know, but we'll see what he decides to do. Um, but Virginia, I think, is a very interesting team uh, as well. Uh, you know, Texas Tech, is, they're going to lose a lot. This year, Brandon Francis, Terry Owens, Matt Mooney, Odiasi, Culver is sure to go pro. They're going to lose. That's that's four or five starters, but they did last year, and they were in the championship game. They got a heck of a coach, and they got some guys redshirted that will be, uh, you know, available. Kayvon Moore, Kevin McCuller, Kyler Edwards was really good. I would. Lo- I, it's going to be really interesting to see Kyler Edwards. You know, because he's going to kind of be that that guy for Texas Tech as far as, you know, maybe the go-to score. They're going to get, you know, Moretti back at point guard. I think Deshaun Corpru and Kyler Edwards are going to be really important to this team next year with Mooney and Culver gone. And I, I very, you know, you know how good uh, Chris Beard has been with grad transfers. Wouldn't be surpri- surprising to see him go out and, and mind the grand transfer green transfer market and see uh, who all is available for that. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see. Oregon's another team, you know, a team that looked horrible for most of the season, but then they got hot, got to the Sweet 16, and while they're going to lose Bull Bull, Paul Light, and Heb, and then Peyton Pritchard's back for his, for his senior year. I think Lou King is really important. Uh, Lewis King... You know, top forty draft stock could see him go pro, but he could come back and blow up and like get lottery range, uh, be more consistent. You know, show more consist- consistency with his jumper, um, show more flashes of that elite athleticism that got him ranked as a five star in the first place. You know, if 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 Pritchard's back, which he will be, but if King comes back and Kenny Wooten comes back as well, you know, I've seen Oregon as high as three and or three or two. Definitely could see them. You know, I think a top 15 lock, and they're getting a, a star Juco, Chris Duarte, as well, to add in the fold. Could be, a, you know, along with star freshman CJ Walker, could be a really, really, you know, kind of a sneaky top 10 bet. The top 10 is going to be like, it's 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 very money. I'm, I'm throwing out a lot of teams that could end up up there. It's like, you know, you know it's going to be very interesting to see how it kind of shakes out. You know, Auburn. I've seen Auburn ranked way high. You know, some think had him back in the top twenty-five, and some had him all as high as like four, four or six. You know, Bryce Brown graduates, but if Jared Harper's back, that's your engine. I mean, he he was the best player. I mean, Har- Brown got a lot of the pub, and he deserved it. So I'm going to shooters, but Jared Harper's really really good. You know, and you get Isaac Okoro, star freshman in. Samir Dowdy will be back. You know, Chuma Okiki could be wouldn't surprise me if he went pro off the ACO if he gets that guarantee. Kind of like what Jared Vanderbilt did, right? You know, get gets a guarantee, 
gets guaranteed money, kind of give them time to heal up and then and then play. I mean, Jared Vanderbilt's obviously playing now. Um, he's or he's healthy now. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if Schumann did that, but wouldn't surprise me if he came back. So, uh, you know, we'll see what he elects to do there. But Anthony McElmore, who was essential in that game against Kentucky, uh, wrecked the Kentucky offense in that second half. He did almost single-handedly. Um, we'll, we'll be back for a senior year as well, one of the best shot blockers in the conference. Uh, you know, and they bring in a solid five-man class, you know, Bruce Pearl kind of weathered the storm of the FBI stuff, got his team to the Final Four, and should have a pretty good team as well. Austin Wiley would be an interesting decision because he elected to come back last year. Does he does he say, you know, doesn't have much of a draft talk, but does he say, well, I've had enough? Or does he elect to come back for a junior year? Like a guy that they probably didn't expect to have uh, more than, you know, that half year than the year after that. But the FBI stuff had him suspended, and he came back. Um, didn't have a great year. Couldn't end up having him for the next two years, uh, depending on how it all shakes out. Uh, and then while we're on the S- SEC, Tennessee, really interesting stuff. So, you know, they got Rick Barnes to come back, but Jordan Bone announced his intentions to go to the draft. Sounded like he was going stick, to stick with it. Um, and then Grant Williams today, uh, you know, going to hire an agent going to the draft. But both of them, you know, with the new draft rule, you can hire an agent and then terminate relations and come back. So the hiring the agent doesn't really mean anything anymore um, with the new rules. So Grant Williams and Jordan Bone could come back. It sounded like Bone was more set on going than Grant Williams, but I think it's going to, you know, both have very interesting decisions. They both come back, top five team. They both leave. Borderline top 25 team. Now, they'll have two scholarships available, Barnes would, so I assume he'd go maybe grad transfer route, look at, you know, maybe reclassification. Who knows? But um, but if those two come back, that'd be massive. Uh, I, don't th- I don't think Bone comes back. I think Williams, you know, it's, it's up in the air. I, I would maybe lean towards not, especially with an agent that may kind of steer and be like, you know, you're a first-rounder. You, you kind of – you are what you are. I think you just don't test your luck. If you get hurt, you could really hurt your draft. So, you know, who knows? Uh, I would probably lean towards them both staying in the draft, but Grant Williams has definitely enjoyed his time at Tennessee. I would not be surprised. And then uh, Gonzaga is another team that's definitely been, been up there. I mean, they're going to lose Hashimura, Brandon Clark for sure, but they should get Zach Norvell back. They should get Cody K- Kisper back, who started uh, Felipe Petrusev will be, you know, next man up with Rui gone. Uh, you know, Josh Perkins obviously graduates. But, they, you know, they have a lot. You know, Killian Tilly will probably come back after a, a, an injury-marred year. And they have, they have a, one of the better recruiting classes in uh, Mark Few's, uh, you know, time at Gonzaga. And then last but not least, I'll throw them in here and then we'll probably sign off of here. Uh, Villanova should be much improved from last year. Yes, they lose three seniors in Joe Cremo, Phil Booth, Eric Paschal, but they have a ton of talent coming in. Jeremiah Robinson Earl's been great. They won IMG won that uh, national in, you know tournament thing, the high school prep thing, and he was like the MVP. He was great for IMG. Um, Colin uh, Gillespie was pretty good this year. He'll he'll be back. Right, Antoine McDonald's All American coming in. Some instant scoring punch, and then Jermaine Samuels. Showed a lot of flashes as a sophomore. He should continue to get better. I think Villanova will be definitely the top ten in May or maybe higher. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this edition to the Posting Up Podcast. What I'm probably going to do, I'm not probably going to do my next podcast after the 21st, that Sunday, maybe that Monday or two, or actually probably that Tuesday after. That's probably when I'm going to do it again. Tuesday or Wednesday, I, whenever I can get the time. We'll see. Um, because... Then we'll know who is in the draft or who who is at least declared for the draft and who, you know, had no intentions in the first place. So we'll kind of get to see that. So I think that is probably the best option. Uh, so that's probably when I'll do the next podcast. And then from there, we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Uh, it could be spotty. We could, you know, now that it's in the off season, uh, th- there won't be a ton of news, I guess, in between that. Uh, the, the 21st and then then obviously May 29th will be a big day so we'll kind of wait but that's probably when I'll do my next podcast we'll figure out the schedule from there but again thank you all for listening uh, it's been a great season I've really enjoyed doing this I look forward to another season of it 
And, um, you know, I look forward to breaking down the rosters, and I'll uh, continue to update my list of uh, the top 50 teams. Probably won't, like, put that live on, like, Twitter or anything until after the 29th because it's a very – it's a rough draft is what I got going. But thank you all for listening. And, uh, yeah, till you know, till November college basketball, you will be missed. Signing off.